Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 96 with Colonel Jill Morgenthaler. Colonel Jill had so much great stuff to share when it comes to finding your presence, your confidence, the calm, and what can be some high stakes or stressful situations. She has a number of them she's lived through in battle and worked with corporate audiences all the time to help them with their challenges and stresses and struggles. So you're going to learn, one, what it takes to stare down Saddam Hussein, two, the effects of radiating confidence and how to do it, and three, how to succeed in any project by having several courses of action. So if you'd like to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep96. And I'd recommend while you're over there at awesomeatyourjob.com, take a look at some of the other cool free resources from the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course to the Gold Nugget summaries of guests that arrive in your email inbox. And for a limited time only right now, in December, I'm running what I call a honeymoon special because as this episode releases... I am on my honeymoon because I just got married. Yay. And so the implication of that is if you have even the possibility of doing some training in 2017 with your team with my Enhanced Thinking and Collaboration Program, that's the one where the before and after surveys show that these techniques have enabled teams to slash about 1.4 hours of waste per person per week out of their work week by being able to communicate more succinctly and have less rework and that kind of cool stuff. So if you're interested in that program, even maybe for 2017, and you let me know before 2016 is over, we're going to knock $1,000 off of that price for being a cool, loyal podcast listener, because I appreciate you so much. So that's the scoop right now over at awesomeatyourjob.com. But even more now, I want to talk about Colonel Jill. Colonel Jill Morgenthaler was one of the first women to enter an experimental class for women in the U.S. Army ROTC and train as an equal with men. She was the first woman battalion commander in the 88th Regional Support Command Division and the first brigade commander in the 84th Division. She was also the first woman to run Homeland Security for the state of Illinois. She received the Bronze Star and the Legion of Merit for her leadership. During her military career, Colonel Jill led hundreds of men and women around the world in war and peace. She's a sought-after keynote speaker and author of the book, The Courage to Take Command, Leadership Lessons from a Military Trailblazer. Here's Colonel Jill. Colonel Jill, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete. Well, I'd love to break the ice with just some small talk, if we could, about your face-to-face showdown with Saddam Hussein. Yeah, that was real small, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because when I joined the Army, so many people were against women being in there. And I hung in there. And by hanging in, I got to meet one of the most evil men in the world. So it was like, well, that's totally awesome. (laughs) So how it came about, I was over in Iraq in 2004, and I was running all the public affairs for the commanding general. And Saddam Hussein, who'd already been captured, was finally going to go before a judge on his crimes against humanity. And I was responsible for getting the media into the courtroom. 
And once I got the media all into the little courtroom, no room for me. I'm hanging outside and I'm actually in civilian clothes because the State Department asked me to downplay the role of the American military. So I'm just standing there in a long skirt, long blouse, combat boots, (laughs) very styling. (laughs) And for Saddam Hussein actually arrives on a school bus and he walks by me. He doesn't even see me. Because he is trembling in total fear. Oh, and I realized he thought he was going to die that day. I thought, oh, this will be interesting. Because that's not how Western justice works, fortunately. So he went into the courtroom and eventually he realized he wasn't going to die that day. And he started to threaten the very brave Iraqi judge. Everyone in the courtroom, he was going to kill them all. He was coming back, you know, watch out. And finally, the um, very brave judge kicked him out. And so... Saddam Hussein just came strutting out, top of the world. He showed them. Uh And then he saw me just standing there in my civvies, and he stopped, and he looked at me, and he checked me out. He he Yes. He looked at me like I was just a bimbo, a piece of meat, uh, just stripping me to my Victoria's Secrets. And I just thought, you don't know I'm a colonel. I know I'm a colonel. So I just stepped into his space and I just stared right back at him. And I just thought, you know, you're going back into the hole. And finally, he stepped away and he barked out something to the guards and the guards just started laughing. And as they're taking him away and I'm like, but wait, what did he say? He had said, kill her. Oh, he used to kill people for staring at him. And I just and I laughed. I just thought, oh, dude, you don't know who you are today. (laughs) You're not killing anybody else. So it was like, wow, an experience just by hanging in there. Absolutely. Well, kudos. And it sounds like you've done a lot of hanging in there in some difficult circumstances, some real firsts to your credit and endurance. So maybe to frame this and draw the connection or the bridge here, you know, what would you say when it comes to military service? In many ways, that's a very different environment than a United States corporate professional workplace. But in other ways, there are absolutely some carryover principles and lessons. So how do you think about that as you do your speaking and you're kind of making that connection all the time for folks. Yeah, I I do, Pete. And one thing, I did write a book, The Courage to Take Command, and I actually share leadership lessons before the business world because especially leadership is very translatable from the military to corporate, nonprofit, volunteer. What I found probably the most important thing in the workplace, in the battlefield, is first and foremost, respect. All right. You give respect before you expect respect. So you show it first and then you will gain it. And a lot of people assume in the army because we have the rank structure that just because of rank, you're guaranteed respect. No, you're guaranteed polite niceties such Mm. as saluting you. But to really get a team to work with you, you have to show them respect and then it will come back. Mm. Okay. Well, now I've got to dig in there a little bit. So okay, good. <laughs> in a workplace, you know, what are some maybe common ways that people fail to show respect that make you just sort of shake your head like, come on now, that's so easy. Why don't you just do this little thing that would convey some extra respect? Yeah, there's first of all, when people won't even find out the talents of each mm. team member, everyone has talents. And when you can take the time to find out what they have and then you can use that compared to what you don't have, then you've got a dynamic team 
Second thing is just listening, shutting up and letting people come up with the solutions. And that's what I loved about the Army. If you brought up a problem, you better bring up a solution. Okay. (laughs) But it frees your team then to be very creative. And, you know, when you look, especially you millennials are so creative, you know, technology, you know, bosses, shut up, (laughs) let them do it. And then I'd say the third thing is delegating. Don't micromanage. Tell them what you want. Tell them the standards, but don't tell them how. Let them figure it out. Um, And they might come up with something you would never have thought of in yourself. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. So I love also, I'm just going to jump in. Hey, you've got a hodgepodge Mm -hmm. of goodies. I would just try to cover as many as we can. You've got maybe some of those elements are covered in your keynote called Winning at Work. I think it's funny. Both of us have something called Winning at Work. I've got a (laughs) 10-day email series. You've got 21 secrets to lead and succeed in that keynote. So winning at work is something that how to be awesome at your job listeners are into. So what are a couple of those secrets you think are most applicable for young professionals in particular? I think one of the most important things is to show up with confidence. Even when you don't have confidence, you can still projected. And when I speak in front of audience, I actually have them all do this exercise where I have them stand up as straight as they can, look up at the ceiling and give it a big smile. Because then as you change your muscles, you're changing your minds, whatever insecurities you have or negative voices in your head, you're already changing it. And then lower your face, but keep the smile. And now you're projecting confidence and you can walk into a job interview, to a new boss, to a board, or in my case, in front of an angry mob mm-hmm. and just project natural confidence. And that is where sometimes I think my kids get jobs because they project this confidence, even though they have no clue what the oh. job is about. But they get it because they're sitting there just radiating confidence just by doing that simple exercise. Oh, that's great. And so that's all it takes is just change your muscles, change your mind. That's yeah. a nice little turn of a phrase. Yeah, isn't that nice? <laughs> so you're just standing up very straight, looking at the ceiling and smiling, and then just moving your neck down slightly with your face now pointing forward. And there you go. Well, do you have any other quick tips in the confidence boosting? game. Yes. When you find yourself getting emotionally upset, whether for women, it often can be tears. For men, it can often be an out of control anger. As a leader, to be successful, you know, you keep your emotions under control. You keep being able to function. And so one of the things I found, especially because when I was over in Iraq, I was working on three to four hours of sleep and under very stressful conditions. So I knew my whole energy base was being sapped. Yeah. And having to deal with the media, the last thing I could do <laughs> is be exhausted and say something stupid. Right. And so what I have found when you find yourself getting too emotional is to click in your thinking side versus the emotional side. And one way to do that is just to take a high number and count backwards. So 89, 88, 87. Now you're kicking in the intellectual side and you're just tampering down the emotional side. And so you can keep your composure then and appropriately respond to whatever the situation is. That one to me has been a lifesaver. Even when it came to, I like the funeral of my mother, being able to just kind of, because I had to speak, I had to keep my composure. So I just did that little exercise before I stood up and spoke. And so that is one of the most important tools to me as a leader. You've got to be able to keep moving forward no matter what you're facing. And this is one tool to do it. 
Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I don't know what you mean about those situations where you need to deliver eulogy when someone you care about. And that seems very sensible as an approach because numbers are absolutely unemotional. Like if I tell myself, come on now, Pete, think. It's like I might still be in a place of sort of spiraling, stressing, you know, ah, you know, with regard to what I'm thinking. Well, all the options are terrible. You know? <laughs> yes, let me run around with my hair lit on fire. Uh-huh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, how about any more nuggets from another keynote you do called Be Prepared, Not Scared? That sounds great. I think it's a whole different level of fear, I'm sure, with bullets whizzing past you versus you're in an assignment that is kind of beyond your skills and you sort of don't know what the heck you're doing and are afraid you're going to look like a moron is I think a common sort of workplace scared experience. So what are your perspectives for bringing preparation and sort of preempting that fear? Well, one thing, you know, I always say, if you have a plan, you'll survive. Okay. If you have a plan, you'll succeed. It doesn't mean the plan will remain the same because as we all know, plans change. But if you can sit down And let's say you have a situation at work and you can look at the situation and come up with what we call in the army courses of actions, come up with several courses of actions. So if this happens, we can go this way. Ah, but if it gets worse and this happens, then we can go this way. And if you can sit down and just brainstorm that ahead of time, whether the crisis is just a project or whether it is a true crisis in the workplace, you already have it in your head, ways to succeed and ways to survive the situation. And, you know, and that's one of the wonderful things you learn as a first responder or in the military is brainstorming the worst case scenario, whether it's, you know, a crisis accident, hazmat, or whether it's all of a sudden the stock market falls out. Or the supplier can't supply. And you try and think of all of those ahead of time. And then you can hit the ground running on the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so by having your sort of backup courses of action already kind of spelled out when uh, disaster strikes, it's like no big deal. I'm just going to go to option D and away we go. Yes, exactly. Well, I guess I'm wondering, well, call me tactical, but when you document that, I imagine the military probably has all sorts of, you know, means or standardized templates or processes for doing (laughs) that documentation. But what have you found is just a sensible, useful way to record that in terms of bullets or sub-indents or slides? Just because I think that in some ways... I could see it'd be possible to make a mess of your thoughts so that you're like, oh, geez, now things look even more complicated than when I started. Yeah, I am a visual person. So I like doing the whiteboarding. And if this happens, then we have options of A, B, or C. If this happens, I'm actually more of an outliner. Other people Mm -hmm. will do, you know, the lines, yes, no, and then those arrows. I actually get confused by those. Oh, So I'm more, yeah. Yeah. But I think the important thing is whether you capture it on your whiteboard, you then document it in a standard operating procedure manual or something. So it's not just in one person's head. Because odds are that's the person who's not going to be around the day it happens. So documenting it in whatever style works best for you is important. Mm. Now, you've said somewhere, speaking about documenting, that people are more important than processes and procedures in terms of you know how things unfold and get done and matter. Can you speak a bit more to that? Yeah, you know, I think that's the difference between a leader and a manager sometimes. A manager worries about, do you have the processes? Are you doing it the right way? Do you have the T's crossed, the I's dotted? A leader 
puts mission first and people always. Your eye stays on the mission while you make sure your people are safe to do the job and have the resources to do the job. And if something bureaucratic, some policy gets in the way, then throw it out. I actually now call that stop the stupid. S-T-S. Because, you know, when I ran Homeland Security for Illinois, we had to get milk and food to heating stations in East St. Louis. It was in the triple digits. And so the National Guard said, hey, we can provide the mills. And then I had some bean counter raise their hand, go, well, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to back order? And I just looked at him and went, great, that's your problem. National Guard, get the food there. We'll figure the rest later. And we did. We came up with the money to back order, to, you know, but it was like, oh, my gosh, get out of my way. <laughs> We're going to save lives here. You know, let's focus on the mission. <laughs> Absolutely resonating with that. And boy, when I hear things like, you know, about compliance or oh. no, you know, no disrespect for compliance professionals listening. You're so necessary and I couldn't do your job and I thank you for doing it. I think I've bagged on compliance once before. <laughs> so thank you, <laughs> compliance professionals out there. But it's like when I hear that's just like, oh, because like what part of my strengths is I just activators, what they'd call it in the strengths finder system. It's oh, like, yes. I just want to go. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Let's get her done and see what happens happens. We'll learn from it and we'll refine. And so when there's like a big sort of checklist of things that have to be attended to before we can start taking any action, it just sort of takes the wind out of my sails. So I'm loving what you're saying, but I mean, at the same time, there are practical realities and rules and things that need to be dealt with. So how do you sort of manage either the emotions or the bureaucracy so that you have it all, the action and the compliance? Bureaucracy is really the word. Bureaucracy is, in my opinion, built around saying no. And I was working with a reserve unit over in Bosnia, and they were doing so poorly, the Army Reserve was going to face the shame of having them sent home. And so they actually called me up here and said, can you go out there and fix this? So I went into Bosnia, and as I watched them, I realized, oh, my God, all they do is say no. Mm. I actually passed an order. No one can say no but me. (laughs) They looked at me and I said, so you better come to me with yes. (laughs) You know, if something was really dangerous, I remember for a while, and for example, in Iraq, we were coming under attack daily on the roadside bombs. And, you know, I said, we're not going to pick up mail over at the airport. I will not have anyone die over mail. You know, so that was a no. And then finally, after a week or so, the sergeants came to me and said, ma'am, morale is destroyed. They need their family's letters. And I'm like, okay, we'll do it right now. And you better not get hurt. (laughs) But, you know, that's what I found as the leader was sometimes you just have to tell people you do not have the power to say no. (laughs) Indeed. And that's an interesting perspective because that kind of reframed the importance and value of mail in a hurry. Whereas you're thinking, okay, a bunch of little documents, who cares? And it's like, oh, well, now we see people care quite a lot. So maybe that is worth taking some risks to acquire. Right, exactly. And that's the decision. You balance the risk and I had to balance the risk and the safety to the morale. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, this time go. (laughs) I hear you. 
Well, that's good. That's so good. Well, now I guess I'm curious to hear if folks are, you know, in their careers and they're looking to develop and display leadership so that others notice and kind of want to propel them forward to bigger and better opportunities. How should they do that? The word leadership is kind of big and bold and vague-ish, but I think at the same time, you kind of know it when you see it like, oh yeah, that guy, that gal, there's something to it and we want them to have their influence naturally be expanded. So what's your take on developing and displaying leadership? You know, it's interesting. Harvard Business Review did a study where they found out in America, the average person in corporate America becomes a leader around the age of 30, but receives no formal training till about the age of 40. Huh? Yeah, a 10-year gap. So there's different ways of doing it. Number one is to volunteer, to step forward and say, I'll take the project. And, you know, if you watch my YouTube, fake it till you make it. That is a leadership trait. It's just saying, you know, I don't have the skill sets, but I'll find them. I have the confidence I can do this job. Another thing is there are a lot of wonderful leadership programs at local universities, corporations. Many of them, the big ones, do have leadership academies. I did write my book, The Courage to Take Command, to help fill in that 10-year gap because I, you know, having been trained since the age of 18 to be a leader, I shared a lot of things I've learned. I also have an 18-day leadership program on Avenue, A-V-N, A-V-A-N-O-O, that you can do for three minutes a day, and it'll give you what I consider the essential elements of leading. But probably the biggest thing is stepping forward and volunteering. You know how they always make the joke, everybody step back one. Don't be that person. Be the one who does step forward and takes the initiative. Okay, that's good. And we covered a few of these already, but I just want to make sure if you have any other perspectives on sort of keeping calm and flourishing amidst lots of stress and distractions. We got the backwards counting. We've got the confidence smiling. Any other sort of key things, whether it's a personal mantra or breathing or perspectives you use to keep it cool and make smart decisions under stressful times? Well, Pete, one thing that especially first responders do that I think really works very well, it is the breathing. It's when you're in a difficult situation and your mind is just, you know, feeling scattered or you feel the edge of panic coming on, it is that breathe in for four seconds, count it, hold it for four seconds, release it for four seconds. By the second or third time you're doing this, you're able to bring in the calm and get the head thinking again so the emotions aren't overwhelming you. And I had a woman just come to me recently. Her son sometimes has panic attacks in school and she just worked with him on just that simple exercise so he could compose himself. Well, that's very handy. Thank you. And this, I think I heard maybe it was Mark Devine talking about is it box breathing, four seconds, kind of in, hold, exhale for four, and then you sort of hold empty for four. And is all this through your nose? Whatever works best for you. If you're congested, through your (laughs) mouth is fine. (laughs) The real thing is just the pulling it in, keeping it in, letting it out. And then you can do the four seconds of calm or just start again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you. So Colonel Jill, you tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure that we get to cover before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things here? No, I think we're doing a great job here, Pete. Okay, super. Well, then kick us off. Tell us, do you have a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Some things that have gotten me through life are two of them. One is, times are tough. I am tougher. Mm. And that is, to me, a wonderful mantra. Whatever's thrown at me, bring it on, baby. In fact, now... 
<laughs> I have audiences do that now, too. I have them stand up. They don't know what they're going to do. Have them stand up, look at each other and go, bring it on. And it's amazing, high energy laughter that takes place. But sometimes that's what the world is just throwing at you. So it's like, you know, times are tough. I am tougher. And it just helps you realize you're going to come out of this stronger. Mm. And then the second one that follows that is you are the right person at the right time in the right place. In other words, whatever obstacles are facing you, it's meant to be you. It's meant for you to grow. It's meant for you to show the world what you've got. And You know, sometimes, especially when I was in the early days of the army, when I just had so many people showing me disrespect, trying to get me to go away, get me, kick me out and kick me to the curb. It wasn't until years later I realized that, wow, I'm a much stronger, better person because I actually went through those obstacles then and learned from them. And so now I look at obstacles as opportunities. It's another obstacle is meant to me oh, it's time for me to grow again. And like when I ran Homeland Security, my boss, the governor, went to prison. Right. I'm out of a job. I couldn't get a job interview for anything. I was tainted as bad as he was. And I luckily at this point went, okay, what am I meant to do now? And the one thing I could get were the speaking gigs. And then I found I'm loving it. The money's coming in. I'm my own boss. I owe him a thank you note for going to jail. (laughs) So, Dear Blago, thank you for getting invested. Yes, thank you for going to jail. It turned my life around. (laughs) But yeah, you know, and sometimes, and for younger people, time will bring the perspective of why you went through something. Because, you know, you could sit there and go, wah, 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 this isn't fair. Or you can just go, oh, I guess it's time for me to grow again. It's time for me to show the world what I'm worth. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or piece of research? Well, one of mine was on the Harvard Business Review on the leadership. That was a real eye-opener to me, too. Right now, I'm listening to Hamilton All on right. Audible. And I'm just finding it fascinating. The leadership, the politics, the maneuvering. But what really impresses me is, oh my gosh, how blessed were we to have such brilliant people struggling to put this country together, you know, just gives me a further appreciation. So I believe in, you know, find the things that you can read that will help you growing. And whether it's podcasts, could be simple podcasts or blogs or audible books. To me, you keep learning until the day you die. Mm, Right on. And how about a favorite tool? Any things that you use often that make you more effective? Well, one thing I do is I belong to some masterminds, fellow speakers, and we get together once a month and we share what we've learned. So we leverage off of each other's learning experiences. We can also vent and release and share stories of when things went wrong. And having that in the army used to call it a council of colonels. Having that safe group where you can learn from, but you can also share your exasperations will help you stay balanced and also will help you keep going forward. So, you know, find other people who are like you, not necessarily in your family, not even necessarily in your own workplace, but find that group that you guys can keep leveraging what you're learning and being basically the cheerleading squad for each other. Because you will find in life sometimes your family has no clue where you're coming from and what you're doing. And that's okay. Just have a group out there that gets it. Mm, okay. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's been handy? Well, one of mine is, and this has helped me through 
when I was in Bosnia and also in Iraq, you know, I mentioned I was working on very little sleep and that wasn't really optional there. But I did work out every single day and those endorphins kept me healthy and kept me actually more focused and kept me calm. And even when I lost the job and I, you know, didn't know what was going to happen next, were we going to lose our house, et cetera, I kept my membership with the YMCA and I kept working out every day. And it's just amazing how just physically Keeping those endorphins going is going to keep you optimistic and confident and healthy. Mm. And I want to follow up on that a bit because I think under sleep deprivation circumstances, it's often when you least want to work out. It's like, ah, I don't have any energy for this. But you said, no, no, quite to the contrary. Taking that energy and investing it in exercise produced nice benefits with the endorphins and such. So can you share? I imagine there are some exercises to do under kind of high stress, minimal sleep times and some exercises not to do. Like I'm thinking... A deadlift routine may not be the ideal thing under those times. Yeah, I wouldn't do a deadlift. I wouldn't do anything that's intricate because <laughs> uh-huh. your mind might not be functioning. But something like, you know, the treadmill, taking a walk with a friend, you know, a good stride. The thing I do is the elliptical machine because it works the upper body and the lower body. And you can go kind of mindless during that time, too, if you got a TV or something you're listening to. And, you know, they say 20 minutes a day. I always, even in Iraq at 112 degrees, uh-huh. when I couldn't work out in the gym, I still took a 70-minute walk with my music. And that helped so much because then I could, you know, just listen to the music and kind of let go some of the things I'd already faced that day. So doing just a simple walk can be so therapeutic. Mm, thank you. And how about, are there any kind of particular nuggets or pieces that you share in your speaking and writing that seem to particularly resonate in terms of getting the retweets and folks taking notes in a jiffy when they say, ooh, ooh, that's good. I got to write that down. Yeah. um, What I found that really resonates is I share a story about how the men especially put me down because I was a woman in the army. And yet we were able to overcome an obstacle because I was actually the smallest person and very fast and was able to run on this guy's body who was lying on barbed wire. Mm. And we were able to successfully do the obstacle and no other team did. And that was because there's a reason for the big guy and the little guy. And Mm. when I say that to an audience, heads just start nodding. I think everybody in their hearts know they have gifts, but too often people are overlooked because they're not the right gender, they're not the right color, they're not the right nation. And, you know, that's not leadership. Leadership is knowing everybody has gifts. It's like you, you know, you did the strength-based finder. You know what your strengths are. And what you want to do, of course, is find the people who have strengths where you don't. And I'm like you, I'm an activator and I give people permission to slow me down. Mm. I'll say, Mm. I'll do this on a dime. But if you see some consequences I haven't thought about, you stop me and point it out. Then I'll make the decision. And so I think that's what really resonates. Everyone wants to be appreciated for what they bring. And one way, a great way to appreciate is not thank you. And that's so overdone. I tell people, put appreciation day on your calendar and then walk around to people And using their name, say, I appreciate and give them a specific thing they have done. And they're going to realize, oh, she knows me. She knows what I've done. She appreciates it. Wow. And the whole whole morale will lift up when you just do that simple, Joe, I appreciate. Pete, 
how you solve that difficult customer. I really appreciate it. And just taking the time to do that once a month, put it on your calendar and don't forget your own family. <laughs> mm, that's good. Thank you. And what would you say would be the best way to contact you if folks want to learn more or get in touch? Yes. Um, my website is www.colonelgill.com and I'll spell that C-O-L-O-N-E-L-J-I-L-L.com. And you can reach me that way. I've got articles on there. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can see what other resources I've produced that can help you be a better leader. Oh, excellent. Thank you. And do you have a sort of final call to action or a parting challenge you'd issue to folks seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I think the thing is, and it goes back to that fake it till you make it. Don't let life stop you. When you are thrown into some place and, you know, there's so many resources these days, go ahead and, you know, grab the situation, realizing that you're the right person and you can find the capabilities and the abilities to get the job done. And that's what's going to help you step out and shine above everybody else. Mm, Lovely. Thank you. Well, Colonel Jill, this has been so fun. Thank you. It's been a treat and I wish you tons of luck. Oh, thank you, Pete. Have a great day. I really dig that. Change your muscles, change your mind. Backwards counting and other approaches can help you summon it when you need to bring that in the moment. So again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep96. And I do recommend you also punch the subscribe button so you don't miss out on folks like our next guest, Andy Mitchell. He's the founder of Active Inbox, which makes Gmail into a task manager. So he's learned a whole lot along the way about managing your stuff and productivity in creating and revising this product that he shares with us. So I hope to catch you then and aloha. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.